everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, as I often like to do. A little preview of what's coming up. For our inbox, we have a guy who's wondering, how do you find balance between taking initiative in a dating relationship versus letting God handle it for you? Well, that is an important question. It's one that we actually kind of get variations of pretty often here at Boundless. So I'm going to weigh in with some advice on that. And then for our culture segment, Dr. Carl Benzio, a psychiatrist, is here to talk about the difficult subject of suicide. Most of us know someone who's been directly impacted by it um, because of the suicide of a friend, a loved one, someone that we knew at school or whatever. Um, And really, with mental health issues being so prominent right now, this is a conversation we're often having. And so we're going to talk with Dr. Benzio about warning signs, about ways to care for ourselves, ways to ask for help, and how to help a struggling friend. And so stay tuned for that conversation. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and uh, we're actually going to have a conversation here with this group of folks on how to handle confrontation. Now, everyone better just be listening into this because I don't know anyone. Okay, I know one or two people in my life who do this well. (laughs) So I know that we all need to grow in this area. So fortunately, I have here in the studio, Annie, Emily, Ray, and Dylan. Hey, guys. Hello. All right. Well, good to have you with us. And uh, we're going to have this conversation because I think, in fact, I often do a talk with young adults that I talk, uh, basically, I call it advice to my 20-something self. And it's really advice in key areas of life that I feel no one told me in my 20s. And then I just kind of like figured it out mostly through failure that, oh, uh, Lisa, you don't even know how to do conflict or confront anyone or receive rebuke from someone. So maybe you need to figure out how to do that. So why not learn this on the front end? So then when it happens, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. Okay, so let's talk about this. So you know, some people are actually better at this than others. Some people are terrible at it. Where would you guys say you fall on the spectrum of doing conflict, specifically having to confront others or receive being confronted from other people? Is there a uh, don't like it category, but okay with it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good category. Okay. So, I mean, I, I would be concerned, Dylan, if you loved it. Um, <laughs> and I have met those people as well. I love confronting people. It just is so life-giving to me. Um, so, yeah, no, that's a good category to be in. Okay, so don't like it, but you're okay with doing it. That's good. I want to circle back to that later about how you even got to the point of feeling comfortable doing that. Emily Ray, how about you? I'm in the category of don't like it, but getting better at it. <laughs> okay. Very good. Good. Annie? I'm in the category of will do it if necessary, but sometimes will avoid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like I am in the category of definitely don't like it, definitely not good at it, but forcing myself to learn and to mm-hmm. get better at it. Um, I've said here on the show before how I realized not too long ago that really my family patterns growing up were very like passive and a lot of passivity and a lot of things in my family. And when it came to conflict, the passive aggressive behaviors were huge to the point where there are many things I can think of through college uh, conflicts or whatever beyond college where I would just straight up like try to make a joke about something, but it was really my way of like trying to address something with someone and then they didn't get it. And then I was just mad because I was like, (laughs) you should have picked up on that. 
<laughs> so that is ridiculous. Um, so let's talk about getting uh, about really what are some, uh, does anyone have an example of a situation where maybe they did have to confront someone or someone did confront them? Um, Dylan, I'm actually just going to look to you because if you're someone that feels like you're okay with doing this, how did you get to that place? I think through repetition. I don't, I got married last year mm-hmm. and I think Emily Ray over here is uh, teaching me a lot about confronting <laughs> Because that's conflict. who we married, just FYI. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Emily Ray has really helped me embrace conflict with an end goal of resolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's so crazy to say that because you would think everyone would assume that, but people don't assume that. I know tons of people that get into conflicts and then they're like, well... I guess we can't be friends anymore, or I guess we can't, we're just going to, we can't be roommates or we can't be, you know, whatever. But you're like, man, in marriage, you gotta, you gotta make this thing work, you know? Absolutely. So it's, <laughs> you have an end goal in mind. That's good. What about, uh, other, um, Emily Ray or, uh, Annie examples of confrontation where you've really been in the thick of it? I think there's like so many instances in my life where I have to like confront my friends, not even of just like things that I think like oh man this is really upsetting me but of like sin that they're doing Mm -hmm. and I think that one for me is more impactful and there was this one friend who was dating a guy that I just didn't he wasn't a Christian just really not going down a right path and I had to tell her and like have like a conversation with her of just asking her honest questions about him and their relationship and just seeing like where her heart was and realizing, okay, it may not go how I want to see it, but ultimately this conversation is fruitful because I want to show her that I really love her and really care for her. But also I realize that we just have to take it a step at a time and realizing there's going to have to be like peace at some point Mm -hmm. that I want to show her love and peace through it all rather than just getting an outcome for myself and my own selfish ambition in a little way. Hmm. That's good. I think, um, areas of just work in general can be have a lot of conflict in it even in a ministry you know mm-hmm. where like certain people have ideas of how the ministry can further versus other people having different ideas and just being able to talk about those in a work setting can also be challenging sometimes just because there's that added pressure of okay if I misspeak then it might be taken wrongly and then it might affect the future in different detrimental ways mm-hmm. but knowing that it's important and knowing when there are areas you don't necessarily need to continue to fight for, mm-hmm. like knowing which points to stand up for and which ones don't actually ever matter. Yeah. Um, and I've been finding that out with marriage too of like, okay, yes, the dishes are dirty, but do I always need to make a point in that? No, <laughs> <laughs> it's just me wanting to. <laughs> so just learning from those those two areas has been impactful. Yeah, that's good. I'd I'd love to talk through like the I feel like there are kind of three different categories of confrontation or bringing something up that maybe sometimes we in our heads we don't exactly parse them out in a way um, that is helpful and I want to say this in tandem with um, because Annie you brought up like straight up sin issues for example. I hate it when because I again I'm a person that dislikes confrontation but I also am very black and white when it comes to truth and grace, truth versus grace, applying grace to truth, whatever. So I'm like, that is very, I don't think I can 
I can't let things slide if I know that something really has to be said. So um, I, it always drives me bonkers when people say something like, um, well, I don't think I really am in a position to speak into their life, or I don't think I've earned the right to speak to them and stuff. Because I feel like, especially if you're dealing with a fellow believer and it's a straight up sin issue, I feel like any fellow believer scripturally has the right to speak into that situation. And quite frankly, if God's put you there, he's probably telling you to be the one to speak. So But I feel like there are other situations where it might be more of a wisdom issue as to whether you speak. So the three uh, kind of scenarios that I think of are like straight up sin, like where people, something has to be addressed, general like feedback where it's more like a personal growth issue. So it's maybe not sin, but if they kind of worked on this or grew in this area, it would probably be helpful to them. And then a situation where it's like, you hurt me. And I feel like I need to address that because now I, there's a wounding in the relationship or whatever. And it could have been something where they didn't even know they were doing it, you know, so there's not like intent or something, but let's talk around any or all of those scenarios of how to best kind of go after that or receive it in that kind of situation. Um, you know, I mean, I can, I can start out with a, with a feedback situation. I had a friend of mine who had basically, she was kind of in a, in a situation where she was really mad at someone and it was, she was basically blaming this person for another relationship problem that she had when really this third person might've had all kinds of problems, but I think she was just really trying to scapegoat that person rather than dealing with the situation at hand. So I noticed that when she talked to me about it, she would always just like gripe about the situation, which one was causing her to sin in attitude towards this other person. And two, she was just never solving it because she never wanted to deal with the root issue, which was the relationship with the person that she had that had nothing to do with this other person. So I actually had to sit down with her and talk through that because I felt like I had to say, look, let's find a way to address this in a way that's healthy, in a way that might actually get some solutions here because I feel like now you're trending in the direction of you're starting to sin in your attitude towards this other person. And so it allowed me to kind of address the sin issue, but also hopefully work strategically with her towards like, but let's talk about, you know, because who wants to live in a like frustrating situation the rest of their lives where this wasn't a person that she could get away from? You know, this isn't like you're not going to be able to just escape this. So you need to to face this head on and kind of go after that. And so um, I felt like she received it well. Now, as far as her application of like, let me go after this and really make this happen. That's been a little bit um, trickier, but I understand that because it is that those are hard conversations that probably have to happen. But I don't know. Any other examples? Yeah, I have an example. Um, A couple of years ago when I would interact with this particular friend, I'd always be sarcastic and not intentionally. But this friend, I I hurt through my sarcasm by being too jokey because that wasn't the type of personality that friend had. And it went on a couple of months and I had no clue I was hurting this person. And it got to this point where this person was brave enough to come up to me and say, hey, this has been hurting me for a while. I know you're trying to be funny, but it's been negatively impacting me. I need you to stop. And at first I was like, that's not fair. You know, (laughs) I'm not trying to hurt you. It's not my fault. You're not taking it right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then it made me think, okay, I, I need to have every action and every like word spoken in front of other people to be out of respect of them. 
And even though I wasn't intentionally trying to disrespect this person, she didn't feel respected. And so that has kind of gone with me over the couple of years um, of like, okay, I need to think through this before I be too goofy because it might be taken in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And so that's an area that I'm appreciative of her for addressing with me because I wouldn't have known that I was doing it, handling the situation the wrong way. Yeah. And that's such a great example of like, I mean, thank goodness she actually brought it up and Mm -hmm. then you could address it. Because how much worse is it if she just secretly resented you and then just acted like everything was okay, but then was like, yeah, Emily Ray, she's really a jerk. She's super (laughs) sarcastic. Don't be around her because you might get burned. You know, whatever. That's horrifying, you know? So I, yeah, that's great to get it out in the open and yeah, give Mm -hmm. a chance to talk that through. So Um, when I worked at camp, there was this one girl and I think we just worked together with everything we did. All of the setup, all the cleanup, we were leading the same groups. And it was just a lot. And both of our personalities are pretty strong, but different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we would, like, start to butt heads on certain things. And I remember I'd go up to people and I'm like, I just don't think she likes me. And I just wouldn't address the issue because Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that I'm a little passive. My family is very confrontational. So they've done all the confrontation for me (laughs) in my life. (laughs) And so I'm starting to learn. And... For a couple weeks, this went on, and I didn't realize, like, how much it was affecting my, like, mental and physical health of just kind of having a person kind of beat down on me a little bit in, like, a really negative way, and even campers would see things that she would say to me that were just, like, kind of rude and just not necessary, Hmm. and so it came to a point where I kind of took time to just, like, lament over the situation and just go before God in prayer of, what is the best way to address this person? And at first we had an honest conversation of, man, we just don't get along. (laughs) And it was really good though, of just seeing what areas we are different in and having an honest discussion rather than just ignoring it all summer and letting it fester. And at the very end of the summer, I remember she came up to me and she apologized and thanked me for just expressing my feelings of being honest with her of how she was treating me. And she said, hey, Annie, I know that I've been a jerk to you all summer. I know that I've sinned against you and there's ways that you've sinned against me. But I think like we've both have like progressed in this area. Mm. And it's like you can understand how to deal with people like me and I can understand how to deal with people like you. And it was just an honest discussion of just seeing, okay, we're different, but how can we work together to come together as a as Christians mm-hmm. and still love each other and pursue the same mission that Christ has set for us. So Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I can think of a a particular example earlier this summer where I I kind of felt that there was a little bit of tension between another friend and myself. And it, it was all through text, which is just not the best for <laughs> reading emotions or another person's intent. But it was coming through text. And uh, we ended up getting together and we went for a, a little hike together. And, you know, I I kind of hesitated to bring it up to him for a little bit you know avoiding the conflict is always a lot more fun in the moment (laughs) but I brought it up with him hey I think that there's a little bit of tension going on between us am I reading that right and he ended up uh, pretty much spilling his heart to me and telling me that he he thought that I wasn't 
respecting him as a friend. He thought that maybe I didn't even like him as a friend or hmm. it was it was just a lot of his heart coming out and it was it was a good time for me to say no. I absolutely do care about our friendship and I care about you as a brother in Christ and I think well, first of all, thank you for bringing this up to me, but yeah. Um, no, that's great. And I love what you said there, Dylan, the whole, the way that you positioned that to say, um, am I reading this right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so great rather than, uh, why have you been standoffish this summer and seemingly rude? Clearly there's something wrong. You know, you're not putting, you're not assuming his, where he's coming from, where he is in his head. I think that's such a great segue into addressing uh, bringing something up in a way that is kind and puts it on you, you know, because mm-hmm. you're saying, maybe I'm not understanding this or help me understand or am I reading this right? Am I, I think that's a great way to broach a subject. Um, I had that happen with me and a coworker where I will forever be grateful to her because she actually approached me after a joint meeting that we had. And she said, you know, would you be willing to uh, meet with me? She said, because she said something that you said offended me. And I think she said it in the way of like, and I just want to make sure I'm not sure that I really heard you correctly or whatever. So she kind of said, you know, help me understand or clarify for me. I want to clear this up. And I am so grateful she did because it gave me the opportunity to explain where I was coming from because what she heard was not at all what I meant. Now, when she said that, there was something else I'd said that I thought was super offensive (laughs) that I thought I needed to apologize for. turns out she didn't pick up on that at all. So I apologize for that because I'm like, that was just rude and I'm glad you didn't pick up on it. But this other thing, oh my goodness, no, that's not at all where I was going with that. And it just gave, to your point, Dylan, the opportunity to clear the air for both of us to just say exactly what we were thinking and kind of reset the relationship in the way that we both wanted it to be reset. So I think that's so, that's so great. Um, Caveat here, you know, many of us know, um, but some of you might not know of or have forgotten that uh, there's a chapter in the Bible, Matthew 18, that talks about approaching specifically a a brother or a sister in Christ with conflict or with something that needs to be confronted. And it's kind of a primer for doing this for going to the person alone first. And then if they're not receptive or unwilling to hear you, then you bring a friend. And ultimately it escalates up to the point where if it becomes a church matter, you have to bring other folks in to be part of this conversation. But I think it's a great, so many of us get hung up on step one because we would rather just gossip about someone or about the issue or gripe about it rather than going to the person involved. And so um, I think that's a great reminder to all of us to do that. And it is hard to do. Um, And I was going to kind of uh, throw it out there to you guys for any other tips or things that have worked for you when it's come down to, you know, yeah, I think initially we're going to, you know, like Annie shared in her story, we're going to probably stew about something. We're going to probably have to pray about it. We're going to be emotional about it. I mean, the last you know thing you want to do is go to someone when you're super hyped up <laughs> and you're probably not in a great space emotionally to address something. But um, what would you guys say? Like, what what does it look like for you to kind of approach someone in a way that you would say is is biblical versus not? Mm-hmm. I think um, there's a saying that Dylan and I are 
my pre-counselor talked about whenever we were getting ready for marriage, that really stuck with me, and it applies to any type of conflict resolution in any relationship. Um, They said a lack of communication equals a lack of... You help me out here. So a lack of communication leads to a lack of respect, which leads to a lack of trust, which leads to a lack of commitment. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, a lack of communication equals a lack of commitment. And that's very pertinent to marriage because when you're married, you want to stay committed. And that's what you're held accountable to by the Lord. But also it applies to friendships and coworkers and everything. Like You want to be able to respect them and to be respected, to trust them and be trusted, and to be committed to upholding this type of uh, personal relationship or work relationship or whatever that ultimately glorifies the Lord um, by taking that first step of being open in communication. Yeah, I think for me, I take things and I kind of just process it for a while. I try to just sit by myself and just write things out that have really bothered me or something that I have to address. Or even when I get feedback, I just take time to really process it and write it out and see, okay, this is where I wasn't doing what I should have been, or this is where I can grow. And I really appreciate feedback now as I've gotten older because it is really a time to just grow and understand yourself better and see like how far you're coming in your adulthood. And even when I'm you know, confronting someone about a problem or an issue I have, I take a lot of time just to pray and see also where I've probably committed a sin against them or I did them wrong because I think a lot of the time the conflict comes from, okay, both of us are at a level or at a spot where we're not agreeing on something and there's something that we need to address together. And I take a lot of time um, just to reflect on of like myself as well of just like how have I also just like not respected this person how have I not like been in their shoes and really thought about what they're what's going on in their mind and I think just getting by yourself and just really reflecting on it really helps me and sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll seek advice but definitely just taking time to process your own feelings and emotions and seeing the truth and what the scripture says before going and actually talking to someone because if I was just to go and talk to someone when I'm really angry and mad, there's not going to be a lot of growth and love from that. It's going to be a lot of hatred and anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say, I mean, I'm, as I'm thinking this through, because uh, Annie, what you said made me think of this. The whole idea of like, I, I'm so prone to get into what I call lawyering, where I'm like trying to figure out the facts of the situation. And I'm so concerned that the facts are right, that then I just want to be right. You know, so mm-hmm. then I'm, and really not often in a relational issue do you have to be the right one I mean what does it look like to preserve the relationship and to honor the hurts and the feelings of the other person that's been a big learning for me in relating to other folks and be like I don't have to be like who was right in this or who said the you know the most factual statements and how did this play out and whatever Um, the only other bits of advice I would give that I think have been really helpful to me are first up keep short accounts um Mm -hmm. You know, like with that coworker, she texted me as soon as we walked out of that meeting. Could we meet sometime about this? Um, the last thing you want to do is approach someone and be like, you know, remember uh, seven years ago when you said, and they're like, what? You know, ridiculous. Um, and then the other thing is just get into the practice, become an expert at asking for forgiveness 
and giving forgiveness. So saying you're sorry and forgiving other people. I mean, if we do that, I forget who it is that says all of life is repentance, (laughs) but I've read that many times. It is very true. Um, We're just constantly uh, needing to repent and and believe and trust God in our circumstances, including our relationships. So you guys, thanks so much for weighing in on this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll overcome Well, welcome to our culture segment, folks, uh, here in the show. And we are getting to welcome back this week a friend of Boundless, Dr. Carl Benzio. Carl, welcome. Hey, great to be with you guys, Lisa. Good to have you here. Um, For those of you who don't know or are new to the show, Carl is a member of our Physicians Resource Council here at Focus on the Family and Boundless. And they're kind of a group of folks that lend their wisdom, their credibility, their expertise to issues Uh, related to medicine and, in Carl's case, mental health um, medicine and all of that uh, as it affects families, uh, the culture, and other things that are going on. And so they're in meetings. So we were like, can you just hop out of this meeting and talk to us for a few minutes? And he was very gracious to do so. So um, we are actually going to, because uh, Carl is a psychiatrist, um, as well as, I mean, in dealing with that as a medical doctor, but also you have written extensively. Uh, you you have a um, really a lot of experience in this area dealing with it um, with individuals as well as with you know lending expertise in a public forum on this as well and as we've said in the past uh, he is in charge of in fact the founder of I think Lighthouse Network right Lighthouse Network correct okay um, so he actually went uh, you know has done a lot of his uh, studies everywhere from from Duke to Rutgers um, and then UC Irvine like I said he's the member of our Physicians Resource Council, uh, medical director of the Honey Lake Clinic in Florida, and then founder of the Lighthouse Network. And so um, we're just really appreciative of you jumping into this subject of suicide that we're going to talk about today. And I had actually requested that you talk to us about this because 
you know, it just seems to, uh, first of all, millennials and Gen Z have unprecedented rates of dealing with mental health issues. Um, but also, I told you a little bit, on a personal level, uh, a friend of mine here in town committed suicide over Labor Day weekend and just really hard. And one of my dear, dear friends mm. was very close uh, to this woman. She was almost, a, she was a daughter to her, really. And um so walking with it, even myself, having known this woman, and then also my my dear friend who was so close to her and is still reeling from this. And so I kind of want to launch um, from that, Carl, in asking you to begin with, like, why is it just like how connected we are that we're hearing more about suicide or why the prevalence of this just seems to be, you know, I don't know. I feel like, you know, in in recent years, this has just skyrocketed. And what would you attribute this to? Where where is this coming from that mental health is so front and center nowadays uh, to the point where people really are despairing in their lives? And sorry for your loss, Lisa, and your friends. Yeah, it's always a sad, very destructive thing and a sad thing. And we all feel guilt and angst about the loss that people have and what people might have been feeling that they would reached a suicide, you know, mm-hmm. as an answer, and then the despair for all those that are left behind. But right now we're in a COVID pandemic. That's no news. Um, but even before that, we've had a behavioral health pandemic. Mm-hmm. So in our United States, addiction is the number one killer. Suicide is the number two killer. Wow. So we don't see that in the way the CDC lists statistics. Usually it lists suicide as number 10 last year because of COVID. Suicide got bumped down to number 11 on the list. But if you add in the underreporting that occurs with suicide, because if we don't know for sure, we're not going to list it on the death certificate. Mm-hmm. We don't want to shame the family or mm-hmm. you know, cause a, a, undue stress to them, and we're not sure. Um, so there's underreporting of suicide that occurs. But then there's a significant amount of what we call passive suicides. And that's where somebody just gives up their will to live. Mm-hmm. It's okay if they just don't wake up the next day. Mm-hmm. And instead of intentionally killing themselves, they stop taking their heart meds. They stop taking their uh, blood pressure meds. They stop taking their cancer medications. And then they die. They've given up the will to live. They just, they want to go home to either be with God or to end the pain. So whenever as a psychiatrist, a patient comes to me uh, either in the ER, they're suicidal or after a suicide attempt, and you're there to help them uh, process that and save them. Uh, whenever I hear suicide, I hear that a p- person wanted the pain to end mm-hmm. but didn't know how. Mm-hmm. They usually have tried many things. Mm-hmm. You know, a person that's attempted suicide or committed suicide, that isn't their first attempt. That's mm-hmm. not their first thought of, wow, maybe this life isn't for me. They've usually tried many things of how to change, how to dig out of this hole that they feel themselves in. Um, And it's about pain and the difficulty they have with their pain and uh, trying many ways to get out of the pain. I don't know any other way for this pain to end other than to die. Yeah. Um, Oftentimes they feel that they are um, such a failure that the more they try, the worse things get. Mm -hmm. So their own decisions cause them more pain. Mm-hmm. or cause other people around them more pain. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people think, well, that's such a selfish thing mm-hmm. that person did by committing suicide. But most people, not only do they feel the pain that they have struggled dealing with, but they feel that they're causing other people so much pain, whether it be their spouse or their kids or their friends or the people around them. I'm just a burden. Everything I do just makes my life more difficult, but it makes other people's lives more difficult too. And for that, I'm just going to leave. Yeah. You know, this is the way they feel to leave. Right. Well, help us get our heads around this, because for those of us, whether, you know, there are some of us that, you know, maybe classically 
don't struggle with mental health stuff as much. And mm-hmm. I, I think all of us in our culture just trend towards being fixers. And like <laughs> kind of you alluded, mm-hmm. we just think that there should be a solution to mm-hmm. this. We think that, you know, meds should work. Counseling should work for Christians. Faith should work. Why isn't this working? What help us understand, like for someone who really is going after it and they have, you know, I mean, again, my my friend in particular was was under the care of a psychiatrist even then knew had friends who were like you are going to call me you know when you're struggling mm-hmm. and she did and just what you know and and even I mean, I would allude to the fact that we've talked even here on the show about the the recent spate of pastors and Christian leaders who've committed suicide. And I mean, we have people in our audience who are like, I, of all people, I would have thought, you know, looking up to them and saying, oh, they're going to trust the Lord. They're going to stay strong. They're going to what what does that look like to be in the situation where you really do feel like you said that there's just nowhere else for you to turn. What talk us through that process of why why we can't just say, "Oh yeah, we can fix this." Yeah. So whenever people are are suicidal, another way I interpret that is that I don't want to live life this way anymore. Mm-hmm. So what you're what you're talking about is how do we come in and start to give other options mm-hmm. to people? Mm-hmm. And so as clear thinking people, as friends, as we're trying to step into that, well, we can think of a zillion different options yeah. of living life different than the way life was going. So good. You don't want to live life that way anymore. I wouldn't want to live life that way anymore. Also, we got plenty of options. Now, somebody who's depressed, what we know about feelings, our emotions, um, they're a great warning system mm-hmm. that lets us know, hey, there's something not right. There's mm-hmm. something going wrong. There's potential danger. I'm not seeing things clearly. But those emotions also distort our ability to see things clearly. Yep. So we see red with anger. We see green with envy. Love is blind. You can't mm-hmm. get much more distorted than, mm-hmm. than that, even for, for our positive feelings. So for the person who's depressed, um, that lens that, you know, it's sort of like I think of it as pig pen in Charlie Brown and, mm-hmm. you know, peanuts. He has that dirt cloud yep. that follows him around. People with depression have a storm cloud around their head, and it's just really hard for them to see things clearly. So no matter what a spouse or a family member or a friend or uh, meaningful people in the church come around and say, hey, look, here's a different way to live life. Here's different options. Here's God's love. Here's uh, people around you. Here's whenever you're in trouble, you know, put me on speed dial, you know, give me a call kind of thing. For the person who's struggling, they got that storm cloud around their head. It's hard for them to see themselves as worthy mm. of that attention, um, To that other people would love them, that other people would care for them, or they have a busy life. I don't want to burden them with my troubles. I've tried. I can't get over this. I can't get through this. So they don't reach out for that help, or they're not quite sure how to put that help into play, into action, mm-hmm. um, or, or that they feel that uh, that help just isn't going to help them. I, you know, we've tried this. We've been down this road, you know, plenty of times. I've called you before, and then I'm feeling suicidal again. So it's obviously not helping. So instead of seeing incremental benefit, they just sort of see it as very binary. I'm either better or I'm worse, and they don't really see a gray area. As friends, oftentimes we see them moving in the gray area, mm-hmm. and there's improvements and things that are happening and that are um, they're starting to dig out. In their head, it's hard for them to see things that way. They see it very, okay, since I'm not the A-plus Christian mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to be, I must be a total failure. Mm-hmm. So in the Christian circles, we have this, uh, as a Christian, I have all the answers. I have Jesus. I should be feeling feeling good, feeling happy, feeling joy, peace, mm-hmm. all those wonderful fruits of the Spirit. When we're not, we feel like a failure. Yeah. Uh, I'm a loser. I'm obviously not a good Christian. Mm-hmm. Or maybe this Christianity thing doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Or, well, maybe God 
you know, isn't in charge, mm-hmm. or maybe he doesn't love me, mm-hmm. maybe he doesn't care for me. And so some people even start to leave the faith, and I guess I'm not a good enough Christian, I'm never going to get it, where Christianity is just a hoax, um, and then we're reduced to just biochemical stuff, and so it doesn't really matter if I'm here or not, mm. you know, kind of mentality. And then there's some other Christians that believe that well, uh, appropriately so, that absent from the body, mm-hmm. you know, in the presence of Jesus, I can't live this way anymore. Mm. It's just too much pain. It's better that I be with Jesus and wake up with him. Kind yeah. Of thing. So, Carl, talk to us. I mean, I have a number of friends who say that they struggle with depression and anxiety. And for them, one thing that's common that they talk about is that it just feels so normal to them. Like, I mean, I have a, fr- a friend who was like, I know that I just get in these funks, but I just thought everyone does, you know, and I would just call it a funk and kind of play it off, but it was very dark. And so what, you know, when we're talking about this, like maybe people who aren't even maybe haven't said, oh, yeah, I've had suicidal thoughts, but but they're just not sure that there are signs to even look for because it just seems so average and so normal to them. What are some of those early signs that they should uh, really look for? Yeah, so a lot of people that uh, struggle with depression struggle it for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some people that have an acute incident. Their uh, life is going okay, normal ups and downs of life, um, but they have an acute incident that occurs, a, a health diagnosis, loss of a child, or something that occurs, and they have an acute incident that precipitates a depression. But for most people, it's been a chronic situation, oftentimes from adolescent, early adulthood, um, where they have these um, sometimes significant uh, depressive episodes mm-hmm. that occur, uh, usually from a lot of our background information and difficulties that we have. But some of the signs are uh, either feeling negative about themselves, feeling like a a failure, self-defeating attitudes, some of the self-talk that they have instead of just sort of being normal and neutral or I can't do that, I'm not good at that, nobody will like me, I'm not worthy, sort of having an indoctrination of them being substandard, you know, in some way. And we see it play out in their relationships, uh, in choices that they make, and how they take care of themselves uh, to some extent, some of their uh, career or academic uh, pursuits, just never seeing themselves being equal to other people. They've mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. They always seem substandard uh, in, in various ways. As far as every day, so that's sort of the thinking mm-hmm. that you're looking for. Now, some people are that way on the inside and outside. They're very smiley and Mm. uh, sort of superficially light and bubbly kind Mm -hmm. of thing, but they're sort of hiding Mm -hmm. this sort of darker, uh, sad, uh, remorse uh, inside. Then day-to-day activities, we can see whether difficulties with sleep, uh, with appetite, uh, energy levels, uh, being agitated, irritated, uh, having nihilistic thinking, Mm. um, taking things personal when something's said, they feel that that was intended for them or calling them out uh, in a situation. Uh, Certainly if there's uh, more dangerous kind of behaviors like cutting themselves, uh, Mm. substance Mm. use, or those kind of things can, um, you know, obviously bigger warning signs. Yeah. It's so interesting because I remember a friend of mine who said like some of this stuff that you're talking about, she would just attribute to her personality or like she would say, like, I know that I should probably be around people right now, but I just don't want to be. So she would isolate, you know, Mm -hmm. and then she'd say, well, you know, I'm just really an introvert. So that's probably why I'm doing that. But then she realized it would, it would be very unhealthy for her to do that over a long period of time. So I think having that awareness, and maybe even having some of your closer friends and and family members being able to kind of keep an eye out and speak into that for you would be good. Um, Okay, so what now, now, clearly, the last thing a person needs to hear when this is where they are is, Okay, let what are we going to do? Clap, 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 clap. Let's snap out of it. Let's go. Let's do something fun. Let's 
<laughs> give us some real, real advice about where do they go with this? What are ways to, you know, how to properly address this? Yeah. So, uh, and, and there's sometimes where those positive things are important mm-hmm. and are good. So we don't want to sort of uh, push those off to the side. But, um, you know, this person that is struggling with depression, uh, it doesn't see things clearly. Mm-hmm. So what the uh, what the friend intends sometimes isn't going to be received the exact way that it's intended. So being able to have uh, some understanding of how do I couch things diplomatically? How do I um, attune? Mm-hmm. You know, attunement is something that we're we're looking for. How do I attune with the individual's emotions? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I'm sorry you feel that way. Or um, I see that you're feeling sad or you're feeling down uh, today. Or that comment you made, you know, seemed to uh, express some sadness or um, some lack of uh, competence or uh, ability or equality uh, mm-hmm. to friends or, or something in a situation. And then ask a little bit deeper uh, about that. So just trying to share life. Uh, share time just like you would in any kind of relationship. It, it, it's the amount of time that allows for quality mm-hmm. of time. Uh, so you want to be able to build that bridge that honest, transparent conversations can happen. And then well, what does that look like to ask your friend, I want to be caring, I want to be a companion with you during these valleys mm-hmm. you know, that you have. What does that look like? How can we be part of that. God wants to bless me mm-hmm. by being in your life during these times. God wants to bless you in this process. How do we access that for each of us? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How can these honest conversations occur? I think as the friends, sometimes we sort of hide our despair, but sometimes it's helpful to share times where we feel down and some of the things that help us, you know, in that process. Nothing ever good happens randomly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you got that new car. How'd you get that? Oh, I got it randomly. Oh, you mm-hmm. got a nice house. How'd you get it? I got it randomly. Mm-hmm. So as we're trying to make movements and changes, it needs to be intention. So being able to build, just like working out, well, what's that accountability partner? Some of the things that a person's working on, What? how do we build some accountability? How do we build some companionship in that to be able to help guide each other? Here's areas I'm struggling with. You can help me with whatever areas you're struggling with that I can help you with so we can be sort of collaborators or teammates in each other's growth and transformation instead of, oh, I'm doing great and you aren't. I'm up here. You're down there. I'll sort of bend to help you um, because you're the the lesser of the two. How can we put ourselves on more of an equal footing, you know, with our friend and peer so that they can look to us as, oh, yeah, they can understand. They can sort of see um, maybe not the exact depths of where I'm at, but they have struggles in life too, and they can empathize with me, and we can walk in this together. Yeah. So let's get back um, briefly here to to suicide and the person who has moved into the arena of researching, planning, ideation. I mean, all of that. That can even for the person that they're actively doing that, and they could be freaking themselves out by the fact that they are doing that. If a friend finds out that a friend has been doing that, that will freak them out. What does that look like as far as an appropriate, healthy way of inner, of addressing that? I mean, the fact that, you know, we're going to be scared, we're going to feel, we're going to want to take control, we're going to want to, how, I mean, at that point, what do we need to be doing? What, what does steps look like of a person who's like, I'm, I'm afraid of what I actually might do? Yeah, so... Always asking a friend, don't ever be afraid to ask them, have, you know, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. How is it going today? Um, have you ever, uh, are you having trouble functioning? Mm-hmm. Are you concerned about living life any longer here mm-hmm. isn't for you? Mm-hmm. Have you thought of dying? Mm-hmm. Have you thought of your death? Have you thought of hurting yourself? Have you thought of committing suicide? 
Now, sometimes people won't be honest with us. Oh, no, no, no. It's, you know, nothing or it's fitting or in the past I did, but not today. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes people that are seriously contemplating will be honest and let you know, yes, I am. Mm -hmm. Yes, I am thinking about that. Um, So a lot of times we're afraid to ask that thinking, well, I'll put that thought into their head. We're never going to put that thought into their head. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're concerned enough about a person that they're uh, struggling enough, they've already been thinking about different elements of suicide or not being here, or what to do, what their options are with their depression. Um, so don't ever be afraid to ask pointedly those questions. Obviously, we want to ask with a caring attitude and, and mindset and prayerfully as we as we step into that, that holy ground with the person. Um, and then if they tell us that they're thinking about harming themselves, we need to say, well, how how strongly do you feel that you're going to carry that out? Mm-hmm. How strong is that urge on a scale of, you know, uh, zero to 10? Um, is that something you're going to do today? What are your plans of doing it? How are you going to do that? Uh, what's the best way I can get you to safety? If they can't answer any of these things in a clear enough way to call 911 mm-hmm. and say, hey, look, I really care for you. I love you. I want you to be safe. I know there's some answers for you. I know you don't want to live life this way, but there's a lot of other options for you. I know you tried a bunch, but there's some other options that God has for you. Mm-hmm. Let's get some help here. Let's get some professional care involved in this situation. You know, if they are in professional care, hey, let's call your therapist or let's call your psychiatrist right now, or let's call, or let me take you to the emergency room, or let's call 911 if you feel that they're unpredictable mm. and they're impulsive and on your way, they might try to jump out of the car, which has happened sometimes for people. Mm. Um, let's call 911 so we can get some supervision for you and get a safe way to transport you from here to a safe place kind of thing. Yeah. Well, let's, as we as we finish up here, Carl, I would love for you to address the grief around suicide. So a suicide has happened. Someone near to you has taken their own life. Obviously, this is not the same as my 90 year old grandma died. She's with Jesus. This was, you know, I mean, this is a, it's a trauma. It's a shock. It's a, you know, you're going to have questions. What does that look like? Uh, the, just the way to healthily grieve that process it as a person who now is left behind from someone that you're maybe even saying, I never thought it would have come to this. And so you have to wrestle with all those questions. Oh yeah. It's uh, it's such a difficult thing to talk about and, and walk through. Um, you know, I think, first of all, the idea that uh, there's a, a lot of shame and guilt that, oh, my gosh, what could I have done? You know, I saw that person or I was, you know, talking to them or texting with them or, you know, I saw them at the last family reunion or whatever the situation is. I should have been in their life a little bit more. I should have messaged them on Facebook or, you know, whatever the contact could have been. We always feel that we could have done more yep. in this situation. Mm-hmm. So there's always some survivor's guilt and shame. I think whenever we're talking about teens or young adults, always be careful of the contagious aspect of that. So whenever, especially a teen commits suicide because of a bunch of different factors, the attention, sort of the glorification of the process and the memorializing of it, it leads other teens to think, wow, maybe this is something I should do too uh, kind of thing. So we want to be on on lookout for who are those other susceptible people that are struggling or uh, might be impulsive uh, you know, in their actions or decisions uh, to be wary of that. Um, as far as... Uh, you know, our own situation as far as uh, grieving. I know as a psychiatrist, you know, I've had patients commit suicide. And uh, I think a big thing for any any caretaker, um, especially physician, uh, has been the hurdle of knowing who is God and who isn't God. And that, you know, as a physician, we're taught that this is your case. Mm-hmm. You own this case. You are responsible for this person's life or death. 
And I think there's a lot of physician burnout and caretaker burnout because we take such ownership of those situations as opposed to God really owns that situation. Mm -hmm. Even if I was a poor friend or didn't do the right thing or was neglectful in a certain situation or I didn't pick up on certain warning signs that Mm -hmm. the person might have put out, that God knows all those things. And God provided other people in the situation and their decision was between them and God. And I would have liked to have been a better steward of my opportunities with that particular person, but that's not my responsibility to save their life. That's between them and God in the process. There's always a hole, you know, especially if we're close to that person, there's always sort of going to be a hole that that death leaves with us and the hole never goes away. Um, God will provide a peace. Um, there will be joy in our life, but there will always still be that hole there. Uh, there will be other things he'll bring into our life to surround that 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 hole that's there, uh, and to, but it will never fully cover it up mm-hmm. um, to replace the loss of that person. But to be able to find other people to be able to discuss with and to discuss your feelings and your thoughts. And we don't want Satan to get in these critical situations to plant lies in our head about who we are, uh, our value, our purpose, that we're unworthy, that we're losers, or we can't ever help anybody. Uh, We can't come alongside anybody. So Satan wants to plant a lot of lies based on these situations. Mm -hmm. So being able to process with other people and and if need be to process with a therapist of, you know, the impact of that, how to help go through the grieving process, the anger, the shame, the denial, the, you know, the the sadness and the grief of it. But to be able to uh, then look at, well, what are those lies that maybe Satan or my flesh might wanting us to believe or to store in our database to use further that we need to purge, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's some of those misinformation we need to purge. So getting with a professional or other peers, uh, other loved ones, so you can be transparent, open about some of those things that are, might be coming in or you might be having doubts or questions about to make sure we run it by some people that can think more clearly in those situations, tell us, no, that's a lie, or yes, that is important information you need to process. Yeah, so good. Well, there's so much. I mean, you've been so helpful in providing what we've talked about today and also um, some resources that we're going to be making available online, you guys, under this episode, which is 717. So you can search for that and you'll see uh, we're going to link to some stuff there for you. Also, I want to make you aware, those of you who've listened to the show for a long time, you know that we have a counseling uh, department here at Focus on the Family and Boundless that really is able to provide a complimentary consultation right on the phone for you, for any of you who are in a dark place right now or struggling or know someone who is, and you just need that next step. And so if you call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY, 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-THE-WORD-FAMILY, you just ask to speak to a counselor and they will spend some time with you, kind of getting your situation, helping talk you through some stuff, maybe give you some suggestions for some resources, and they can even recommend a licensed professional counselor in your area for some continued care and kind of get you on your way. And so we want to make sure that that is available to you and that you can access that. So go ahead and and do that immediately if you need to. Um, Dr. Carl, thank you so much for being part of this conversation, for weighing in on this with your expertise and just your heart for people and uh, really them being made in the image of God. And we want so much for them. And so thank you for your compassionate spirit. Oh, thank you, Lisa. And for any listeners out there that are struggling with depression or have been thinking about, boy, life... um, would be better without me. Uh, It it wouldn't be. God has you here for a plan and a purpose. Uh, He's the author of great comebacks, has awesome comebacks for every one of us uh, if we hang in there and pursue him. And like Lisa said, uh, there's help available to be able to find both on the website with the counselor's department and uh, in your local church to be able to plug into as well to find some resources. I cannot blame you for the pain that I have focused on. 
Well, folks, as we finish out the show, we are in our final segment of the show, which is called our inbox. It's where we answer your questions, whether they are about life or faith or relationships, stuff you're struggling with. And sometimes we have our chaplains answer them. Sometimes we have our counselors answer them. Sometimes others of us answer them. And I'm going to tackle today's. It looks like it is a relationship question. So here we go. Our listener says, what do you think is a good balance between letting God handle romantic relationships and taking initiative as a male? I've been getting a lot more intentional with trying to find women to meet who might be a good fit for dating, but I sometimes feel like I'm not allowing God to work on my behalf. I also feel as if I'm meeting more potential dating partners outside of church, but that doing so isn't exactly a recipe for success. I've prayed and continue to pray about this, but it's been extremely difficult and slightly depressing at some points. It seems like everyone around me is already in a relationship, and it's been that way since I moved to this city just over a year ago. Any insight is welcome. Well, thank you for writing and for being vulnerable about this, because it is frustrating when you're like, I'm trying to do what I need to do to meet people and get in a relationship. And how do I know? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? It can get crazy making. And so uh, this is a little bit of an age old question uh, in that, you know, we get that a lot of just like, how do I know if I'm trusting God or should I be acting more in this sense? And, And it's a great question because it's a hard one to answer, especially when we're talking about specific circumstances. So just a couple principles uh, quickly here as we as we answer this. The first one is absolutely keep your core standards for dating. So first of all, if you haven't delineated your core standards, you need to do that. And I often, I, in fact, I say in, in my book, The Dating Manifesto, uh, they really should just be about four things, including an absolute solid believer in Christ, someone who's humble and teachable, who's in a position to marry, who's kind of heading in the same direction you are. You can find all that there, but you've got to have those core standards and stick to them. So obviously this is going to preclude non-Christians. And so I would say, get out of that mess right away. I mean, you're saying, you know, it looks like I'm meeting more people outside of church and outside of Christianity, but that's not going to get you anywhere. It's a big waste of time and it's dishonest to the person you want to be dating because clearly you're looking for something in terms of faith, in terms of eternal status, quite frankly, in terms of character. So don't mess around. Don't play with people's hearts when you know you're looking for something very particular. So keep those core standards. Trust God with them fully. Second, keep your eyes open and take opportunities that you have. And so you mentioned moving to a city. That sounds encouraging. It's not like a town of 100 people. And trust me, I have lived in that town. Uh, So you, you know, hopefully you'll have people coming in and out of your sphere. And you have to be willing to take those opportunities as they come. But again, you know, adjust expectations because this isn't like I'm going to meet 10 new women every week. Not necessarily. Okay. You have to be okay with this could be a weird kind of janky timeline as far as who you meet and where. Now we recently did a show here at Boundless where we talked about are your standards too high? Now, again, this isn't talking about those core standards. This is talking about do you have some preconceived notion in your head of what you're looking for and everyone else you're just letting pass you by. And so I would say those kind of arbitrary standards, chuck them out the window because you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into just looking for a specific type or thinking, oh, this is only the type of person I want to date. 
Remember, be open to friendship, be open to groups doing things, you know, as you're searching for churches, or maybe you've settled into a church, be open to friendships that kind of expand your circle a little bit. Keep your eyes open at all times and take those opportunities. And then third, you know, I talk about this all the time, get some help, talk to friends, talk to mentors, talk to people who know people, because they're going to introduce you to quality folks that you could potentially date. So be willing to say, hey, I'm actually interested in dating, and eventually I'd like to get married. So put the word out there. Don't act like a lone ranger. Get some help from quality people who want to walk with you through this season. And then finally, relax and be about your business doing your life. Okay, so this isn't you're not just in the city and haven't been there for a year to solely find a spouse. And if you don't, then your whole purpose is thwarted. Okay, you have got a life, you've got ministry you could do, you have service you can do, you have friendships you can cultivate. Be about that. Because again, this is where you realize that God is in the business of making good matches. If he has someone for you, that person he can bring into your sphere through any means that he wants to make it happen. So you've got to give, this is the great opportunity for you to give control to him. You're taking initiative in the things you can take initiative in, but you are also letting God handle the details and handle the timing and the outcome. And so if you say you want to trust God in this, you got to put your money where your mouth is and truly trust him and let him navigate your space in this as you look at potential relationships and move forward. So we know, um, you know, even Proverbs talks about God directing the hearts of kings. So my goodness, he can direct your heart, the heart of someone that you could be dating. He is truly in control and he has your best interests at heart as well. So hopefully that'll give you some encouragement and a few practical steps moving forward. Well, folks, that is it uh, for this week's show. Pop over to Apple Podcasts and where our podcasts are found. Leave us a review if you're new to the show and you're liking it. We would love for you to leave a review because that's how other people find us. And that way we kind of expand our little friend pool so help us do that and in the meantime we will see you around next week i'm lisa anderson for the boundless show the boundless show is a production of boundless.org focus on the family